friends, welcome to episode 216 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? I don't know, but your lap... I swear that thing always sounds like a jet engine whenever you plug the power into it. Like... Yeah, I don't I don't know if any... I don't know if that's coming up on the it mic. D- I can hear it in my own head. I can hear it in the headset. Okay. Oh, I'm, I'm terribly sorry about that. Yeah, just uh, sometimes I... So yeah, if you hear that, that's, uh, that's Sarah's Lenovo getting ready to run i I don't i don't know star citizen Uh, (laughs) close air support something Something like that (laughs) crisis probably probably god that game was one of those like (laughs) bleeding edge needed three levels higher technology to run that damn game (laughs) technology that didn't exist yet so yeah hi uh i'm not doing too bad uh it's been an interesting week i will i will say this much everyone needs therapy and sometimes your therapist calls you out Sometimes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, and you just have to accept those moments because uh, they're they're funny when you're sitting there, and then they last. They just kind of linger in your head. It's even funnier when your friend calls you out for the exact same thing, and then yeah. your therapist does it, and you're like, okay, damn it, this, <laughs> this is a thing now, and I don't like this thing. Yeah, like I don't. You were supposed to be my friend. Like, you know, I'm your therapist. You pay me to be your therapist. Right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> Uh, but you pay me to not be your friend. You pay me to yes. call you out. Yes. Uh, this Sunday we have our beer and pretzels mouse guard. Is it this Sunday already? Oh God, yeah, yeah it is. This upcoming Sunday. Oh so wow, I'm very much looking forward to that. I think I think I need a good beer and pretzels. Yeah, time. Yeah, so definitely. It's been uh, it's been a long time coming, and then uh, shortly thereafter, I think it's the following weekend. I think the following weekend is Nova Praxis, and then the following weekend after that is my game. So yeah, so stacked up like cordwood. Stacked up like cordwood. Yeah, we yeah. got we got a big big run of gaming coming up. Uh, I'm feeling pretty good about my game so far. You seem to be. You seem to be in a good place with it. Um, a lot of it is going to very much depend on how you guys put things together. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Uh, I've kind of got. I, I'm kind of planning it to go two sessions. Okay. Um. At least this this little journey into apocrypha. Um. And I've got kind of something big planned for the second half of it. Sure. Um. But I'm not going to try to pull it all together for the first half of it here. But. Uh, yeah. Uh. But yeah, I, I think we're we're rolling kind of into the into the climax of the of, of Act Two, and I'd, I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing you know some of the, some of the dominoes start falling down and seeing you guys kind of going like, oh, I'm kind of seeing the big picture now, you know. Right, right. Whatever that big picture is. Yep, so. yep. Um, so tonight's show, uh, we decided that we were going to do a little examination on boss battles, uh, where they came from, what the whole concept is, like how far back does this really go, and and who came up with this silly idea of having tiered fighting that eventually that just keeps escalating, mm-hmm. you know, to some grand scale, um. I got a little deep in my research. <laughs> you were like, so I found a thesis paper. And I'm I like, did. Oh, okay. I really did. I found a really yeah. nice thesis paper on this. And I, I, I will applaud the writer uh, w- w- as we get to it. But um, it kind of helped really frame the show in a neat way. Now, granted, his thesis paper was on digital games. Mm-hmm. But I, I, but the history really helped out with some of the other history pieces that I found. So, Well, and, and I don't think that's too far off either because digital games and tabletop games have had such a symbiotic relationship with one another. You know, like, uh, tabletop games have, like, inspired video games, which then... Ter- Excuse me. Turned around and inspired the tabletop all over again. You know, and, and now so... with like virtual tabletop and and the concept of like like Baldur's Gate, the video game, which is really just D and D overlaid in like how 
which direction are you going? Like, right, right. You know, how, how close are we? We have video games that we're running on tabletop trying to mimic the video game either in mechanic or in feel. Yeah. And sometimes getting neither. Yeah. Um, and then, like, you know, look at, look at D&D Beyond, you know, their, their yeah. new VTT that they've been previewing and stuff like that. I mean, it basically looks like a video game. Well, know? why not? It, all the mechanics are there for it. Sure. Like, you know, sure, Unreal absolutely. 5 is a thing. Yeah. So why not leverage it as best you can? So it's... It makes sense. It adds up in all of the equations that this is where things would lead to. But at the same time, like, is this something we want to carry? So I'm, I'm going to take us back a little bit. We'll do some uh, um, etymology here. Boss actually is from the Dutch original bastardization of base because people didn't want to use master. They needed a different word so because that was kind of affiliated with slavery mm-hmm. so they started using boss instead mm-hmm. and that kind of uh, helped change i mean in a way and, and frame what that meant but at the same time it kept the colloquialism of illegality to it yeah yeah uh, and and the whole uh, the the crime aspects were still there and were kept very strong um but the idea of like a escalated boss battle or something greater goes much farther back than that. That's that's hero journey novella fiction of, of true history. Sure. David versus Goliath. David versus Goliath is exactly what I was originally thinking when yeah. uh, when we first brought up this topic. Was yeah. Like, that's the original boss battle right yeah. there. Yeah, you, know, you know, ready to take on the world kind of a thing, but maybe not. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you've got, like, Hercules. Like, throughout the hero's journey, doing various things, you know, yep. leading up to something great. Beowulf. Yep. Beowulf versus Grendel. I mean, Grendel. Mm-hmm. Grendel was absolutely a boss fight, you know. Captain Ahab. Yeah, and 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 Moby Dick, without question, a different kind of boss fight, but still. But it's that whole within the hero's journey, the the fight against the quote unquote big bad, whatever that may be, mm-hmm. is always been part of that journey. Um, but when we start extracting it from novellas and we move it into other media, the the thing that we we I guess colloquialize as the boss battle layering really didn't come into play until Bruce Lee. Yep. So in in the Hong Kong martial arts films like Big Boss, where he is fighting a criminal gang and has to fight a big boss at the end, yep. you know, is one thing. But really the tiered idea came from Game of Death, which was in 1972. And he had to like fight his way up a pagoda. Up a pagoda. Different people at every layer. And then there were like rumpties, but then like the big boss came out and then he got to go up a level. Right. And it was like watching a video game, Ex- you know? Well, yeah. at the time, it was the original. Yeah. So then literally just, you know, we've got D&D, which is at the same time in tabletop kind of doing the same thing 1974 around... 1972 yeah. so and then 1975 plato uh systems releases D D, mm-hmm. and it's right there in black and white yeah. how to run a game of D where you fight a dragon and you fight another thing and it's it's all layered sure. boss battles that are in there so you, now you've got like the the narrative backing for it in things like our cinema and all the way back in our and our our, our, our this, the formative stories of our cultures and stuff like you said like beowulf mm-hmm. david and goliath and, and whatnot and so that and now this this game comes along and it's like hey here's how you have those kind of cool climactic moments in your own stories right right here's how uh-huh. you here's how you show advancement and progression having weight yeah. You know, of of the hero, 
you know, are you doing well? Can you defeat this thing at this point? And in some cases, those bosses were available to you, but you and you could try, but it would just send you right back to the beginning because you were wiped out. Right, right. You know, so now you've got to do it all again without any gear and rebuild yourself all the way back. So you, so you knew there was a progression point when you were at the right point to do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this concept of digital bosses being uh, implemented really was uh, starlit during uh, Gen X and Gen Y because we had this through numerous iterations of video games. Mike Tyson's Punch Out, Mega Man, Kung Fu, Mario Brothers, even Metal Gear. Oh, All man. of these had progressional boss fights Mega that were built into them. Um, that That way that we knew how to basically teach ourselves to build these things. Um, but at the same time, each one of these were slightly different. Mm-hmm. Um, you had the reason of why they were implemented in that direction. Mm-hmm. So you have this concept of, of the boss serving a purpose within the framework of the game. Maybe not even the story, but at least the framework of the game. So like you had in Mike Tyson's punch out, you had the uh in the the second uh fight with the the aforementioned Mike Tyson he would wink at us during the second round mm-hmm. and that was your one opening to pop him and get a KO and that taught the player an ability point like mm-hmm. if you could catch those loops we were you were learning as a player versus your character having any extra bonuses or anything like that that didn't exist oh yeah it was was purely were you watching were you paying attention for those moments sure and and that's that's a pretty common video game mechanic of like we're going to teach you a mechanic and then we're going to force you to use that mechanic you know and then stepping that up we we move into something like dark souls you know where which is a lot of that actually combining yeah exactly sometimes in it's it's not just hey this is the mechanic that you have to use to the game I might have a plethora of different weapons mm-hmm. and styles that I choose to fight in here, but the game itself has its own set of mechanics for each thing that I'm going into. And again, teaching me, oh, can I get the rhythm of this? Right. And then what does a boss fight feel like then? Right, right. And uh, Orenstein and Smo, which is the, the Laurel and Hardy characters, yeah, as, yeah, as I've yeah. been known to. Biggie to, and Smalls, Biggie yeah. and Smalls. I think we fought them <laughs> together, actually, uh, mm-hmm. at one point. Um, and... The idea is when you take out one, the other one basically steals its crow power. And get, gets a glow up. And, 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 you, and becomes, becomes something the, different yeah. and changes the dynamic of the fight. And mm-hmm. that concept of, of creating a true challenge for the player, mm-hmm. you know, because, again, really, that's what it's about. It's, it's about challenging the player. Arcades were great at challenging the player of ramping the same loop. But that loop getting dan- more dangerous and dan- more dangerous after yeah. that. Well, and the, and the other thing too about like, uh, especially Ornstein Smo, or, or, or rather like Dark Souls just in general. You know, that's kind of where the whole phrase like "get good," yeah, uh, kind of became popularized, and a lot of that was um, testing the player's knowledge mm-hmm. of those of those game mechanics. Um, yeah, you know, and and just. I think, you know, when when you apply to, like, the, the tabletop RPGs, it's not looking to see if your character has leveled up. It's looking <laughs> to see if you have leveled up. Because, exactly. Because, man, in, unless you have, like, in cer- some games, especially, like, you know, video games, you can out-level stuff. Oh, you know? easily, and, easily. And Dark Souls, to a certain extent, as well, you can grind enough that, like, your your gear can get good and your, you know... Health you is just good... ridiculous. Yeah, and... exactly. Your, your stats can get good. But at a certain point, like, you need to execute, mm-hmm. you know? 
And Ornstein and Smo, uh, you uh, uh, a lot of fights are like walls, you know, mm-hmm. and like Monster Hunter Anjanath is probably your first your first wall in that one, you know. They're like they teach you little little mechanics, like okay, this one teaches you about status effects. This one teaches you that the monsters can change states. Okay, now here's a fire breathing T Rex. Go, put everything together that you that you've never used before, and it's it's a test of you, not a test of your equipment. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, but then you have like the fights that change the dynamic of the game. Mm-hmm. Like Portal is an example of that. Through most of Portal, you're doing puzzles. The dangers that you're running into are are obstacles so much as they aren't bosses. They're uh, they're something in the room that is going to hurt you. Well, yeah, it's 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 a, it's a moving puzzle, is what it is. Yeah, yeah, with with danger with traps sure. basically. If you, you to, if you solve the puzzle incorrectly, you, you might know, get you, hurt. You die, die. You have to restart the level. Yeah, but the Glados fight at it is literally this running narrator who's through the whole thing that now you're fighting, right. fighting. Which is not part of the game. You don't get a gun, per se. Mm-hmm. So you have to figure out how to defeat a boss with using the knowledge. Using the same mechanics that, you you know, were, that you've been using to solve puzzles the entire game. Right. Yeah. Like, all of, like, you could have solved all the puzzles in the game and only used that base mechanic system in your that you figured out mm-hmm. to be able to handle this. But if you've also figured out other subtle mechanics that the game gives you um, beyond just using your portal guns for the things that they're meant for... Uh, you can fight. You can change the way that fight goes a little sure. bit all the way to the end of it. Um, Celeste does kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's basically just a jumping platformer um, mm-hmm. the entire game, and uh, then all of a sudden, like two thirds of the way through the game, you have this um, you have this boss battle yeah. with your with your evil alter ego, basically. Right. And it's like, okay, what? Well, hold on a second. You want me to fight now? Like, I only have a jump and a climb button. What <laughs> What do you want me to do with this? You know. Right. Right. Um. And yeah, you've got to you've got to employ it offensively while you're being you know, having laser beams shot at you. You know, yeah. Um, and it absolutely changes the the way the game is played. Well, another one that I always think is funny um, that I didn't put in here, but is is kind of true is you have sometimes the reverse of that. Mm-hmm. For instance, like Halo, you're you're fighting as a is basically a badass for the whole thing, True. right? The, the idea is just keep besting and keep getting better at your shooting, get that, and then you get to a certain point in the game. Sorry, spoilers are going to happen, and the flood shows up, and the fl- the answer to the flood is get out. Mm-hmm. It's you're not going to win. There is no winning the flood, right? It is it is an escape mode that you now have to achieve, which is something that is opposite to everything you've been doing up to that point in the game. But it still uses the same mechanics of gotta get out of here, gotta move, gotta keep going. Yeah. You know, yeah. Your your instinct of shoot everything that's moving until I'm out of bullets and then punch it runs out when there's too many of them to punch. Welcome to the first day of the rest of your ammo crisis. Exactly, exactly. So each one of these kind of sets that emotion. Um the next one I, I think is the is the I wouldn't say is the fan service, but is the the hype service. And that is, is the idea of epic encounters. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and the idea that within a story, you can hype up the end to a level that it needs to reach. This, I think, is probably the one that's most applicable to like the tabletop RPG scene, because, you know, especially mm-hmm. like we see it on our discord all the time, like mm-hmm. people talking about their own campaigns and. And, you know, asking for help putting their plots together and whatnot. And they're like, I've got this big bad guy and I've, like, been showing him to the group trying to foreshadow the big showdown at the end. And you're mm-hmm. like, well, yeah, I mean, that happens all the time, you mm-hmm. know? And and 
you know, I, I'm gonna say I, like I'm go- I'm going to use this move in my game too mm-hmm. when you know when when things finally fall over and you guys can kind of see what's going on with with my plot. Um, yeah, there is going to be a moment where it's going to be like, oh no, right? Oh, that's that's the conflict we're that's building the up thing. for. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah you as know? the as the dominoes get pushed and you count the ones you've already set up. Yep, those kind of things. Exactly, yeah. and then and then it it all kind of spells out for you, and then you you can kind of see forward the next you know ten twenty game sessions and go, okay, I see where this is all leading now. Yeah, you know. And and that is not to say the next one kind of sits apart from that, but before we get to it, I just want to say, like, uh, for those of you who've played any of the Zelda games, Mm -hmm. the idea of battling Ganon. Yeah. It's games on top of games that have taught you that there is this pinnacle moment you're going to fight. They've made it, I mean, they've made it a meta plot, you know, point that that it's, oh yeah, he's the hero of time. He always does this. Like, it's always Zelda, it's always Link, and it's always Ganon. Those three always show up time and time and time again, you know? Right, so you're waiting for that moment. Yeah, so it's a new Zelda game. I wonder how we're going to kick Ganon's ass this time. Exactly, exactly. Like, Mario and Bowser are a thing. Right. You know, some stories mess around with that a little bit on, like, what you're doing, but all in all... That's the feeling. Sure. You're going to be fighting a Bowser of mm-hmm. some kind, and that hype behind it has to come to some kind of beautiful fruition, even if it is cinema that gives you that joy at the end. Sure. It's not the actual fight, because the fight mechanics might be simplistic, mm-hmm. because it's 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 not the important point. The important point is that, you know, there's a monologue, and there's a counter to that, and then there's a scene, and there's, you know, whatever the hero's journey needs to end up with— but it's still there to be the hype point, you know? Um, the next one, which is the idea that it's that the boss fight really tells the story, is that it sits in a, a different place. Um, the one that was really presented was uh, God of War uh, and Kratos. Kratos. Or Kratos, I'm sorry. Um, the fact that basically he's been put into a position that by Ares mm-hmm. deliberately... Basically uh, made to be a, a a war engine, if you will, and the whole story is about him getting to Ares and getting Ares getting his comeuppance, mm-hmm. you know, to end this. That that the whole story wraps around the need for that fight to happen. Mm-hmm. That at the end he's not going to be like, "I forgive you." That's not happening. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he needs to do this to finish this, you know, and that kind of a that kind of a boss fight is the encapsulation of the story. Game's called God of War, not God of Hugs. That's true. That is true. <laughs> um, and and then you have the, the outlier, which we don't necessarily see in TTRPGs. I I say that we don't see that. I'm not going to say that there aren't others. And that is, is the crazy, that the boss fights are something crazy. Mm-hmm. Now, the one that I put in here, which I thought was hilarious, I've never played Metal Gear Solid, but I have seen cut, cuts of this, and now I understand it better. I, I have. I have. And that is is that Psycho Mantis is, a, is one of the bosses that you fight. And mm-hmm. if, if, if you're listening to this and you've never played Metal Gear Solid, I will say this much to you to help you understand where I'm at and why seeing the videos that I saw didn't make any sense until now. And that was, while you're fighting him... He is literally breaking the fourth wall, reading the memory card off of your system, and and making jokes about the other Konami games you have saves for. Yeah, he will. <laughs> he will comment like, "Up, I, I when I when I played it, he did something like he says, oh, I see you like Castlevania Symphony of the Night. You've put many hours into it.'" And I'm like, "Really, dude? Like, 
not only did you read that I had a save game there, but you knew that I had 36 hours in the game or whatever it yeah. was. You know, like, he, he'll comment on that. And the way you actually have to beat him, because he will dodge every one of your attacks, and that's the the main, like, kind of shtick to him is, oh, I'm psychic. I can I can see what you're doing before you do it. Right. I know and, more about you. And yeah. you're, you're shooting at him, and he's like, ah, don't you understand? I can read your every move. What you have to do is you have to take your controller out of the first port in your PlayStation and plug it into the second player port. At that point, he doesn't know. And he can't read the second player port. Ah. And then you can hit him, and he's just a pushover at that point. And right. Then, and then his, he's like, wait, I don't understand, you know? Right. How are you hiding from me? But the whole idea is that he's broken the fourth wall. He, yeah, he breaks the fourth wall. The other one is Undertale's Flowey. And I know... Undertale, for those of you who've played it, I, I apologize if I butcher the most of the game, but I know Sarah has a deep, deep love for it. But the character is a flower, like this animated, pixelated flower, who almost right off the bat talks to you about something and doesn't talk to your I'm character. I'm sure he's the first character you meet in Undertale, actually. Um, and he tries to kill you right away. Right. And that's when the second character you meet comes along and saves you from him. Um, but... Uh, He's yeah he does he does kind of address you the player um and the first time he breaks the fourth wall with you uh I was I was trying for a pacifist run okay where you don't where you don't kill anybody in the entire game right um and it makes it difficult because you have like twenty hit points through the entire game and that's mm-hmm. that's tough to do um and some of the some of the fights have some weird mechanics you've gotta you've gotta do to do it without violence mm-hmm. um. But I, I, I knew that that was a thing, so I was going to try for it. Mm-hmm. And so I accidentally, because I didn't understand what I was doing enough at that point in the game, killed the first boss. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, I can't do that. And right. so I reset the game, and I loaded an earlier save. So I defeat that boss without without hurting her. I go outside, and Flowey is waiting for me and goes, you reloaded your save. And I'm like, I did what? Yeah. He's like, yeah, you you understand what's going on. You reloaded your save. You chose violence the first time around, but you went back and redid it. I'm like, okay, this is, no, 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 you are not, no, we are not having this conversation right now. And he's like, I'm going to keep my eye on you. And you're like, okay, no, 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 don't do that. Yeah. And then when you finally do, like, he kind of becomes like the last boss-ish. Yeah. Well, ish. ish. There, there's some weird stuff that happens around there. And he will do things like reset your game. Mm-hmm. Like, literally crashes you to desktop. Mm-hmm. And he's like, huh, I'm deleting your file. And you're like, what do you mean you're deleting my file? Ha ha, funny joke. And then Undertale just closes down. And you boot it back up, and it's like the intro screen. It's like, would you like to start a new game? And you're like, where's the continue button? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's but that's it's the thing amazing. Is, it's a boss fight yeah. that does something crazy that resets the way you look at the story, the game, the con everything. Yes. It, yes. Re- it makes you reevaluate. And again, that's not necessarily something that sits well at the table. Well, it's but here's the thing. It doesn't sit well with like you or I, because that's not either of our styles. Right. But like immediately when I was when I was looking at this, um, you know, shout out to uh to, to one of our listeners, Technolich. Mm-hmm. Like this is exactly this type of st- he's uh, uh what was what was the setting he was writing up? Uh surfers and uh something. Surfers and something oh, under the, he he made some like D and D, but it was like set in like the rockabilly surfer you know mm-hmm. uh, setting or something like that. Like yep. 
I mean, this is absolutely the style of game he would run, where, so, where like, a boss would break the fourth wall and start making jokes about game mechanics, you yeah. know? Or talk to the players directly. Yeah, or talk to the players directly, exactly. Yeah. So, the other piece that kind of sits along with this is where it sits within uh, the narrative itself. Yeah. Whether it's yeah. in opposition of the traditional protagonist story. So, like, in Shadow of Colossus, the character is kind of selfish and is doing things for his own needs Mm -hmm. and makes you question whether or not you're do you as the player are, are not just a baddie. Yeah. Doing bad things in the story. Yeah. You know, so each boss battle feels like I'm the one initiating Mm -hmm. something that I shouldn't be. And by the end of it, you realize you, that's exactly what happened. Let me go stab this Colossus. That's been minding its own business for a century. Yeah. What is it really here for? What was it doing? Yep. You know, oh, I undid that. Mm-hmm. Oops. You know? Um, and then, like, there's the, the boss fights that are really character development. They don't sit in an apex within the grand plot, but for that character, they sit in a very, very yeah. special place. Last of Us has a really, has a couple of them. Um, in the original Last of Us, Ellie meets David. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they they kind of have a friendship, a kinship that turns, and David is this strong character that she has to do something about. And Joel at this point is not around, so to Ellie, protect her. Ellie has to deal with him herself as yeah. a fourteen year old girl just trying to get by. Yeah, and she's stuck in a she's stuck in a diner while a, I think a blizzard's going on outside. Yeah, and it's just the two of them, and he he means to harm her. Oh yeah. And so she has to handle the situation. And it's the turning point of basically uh, of the coming of age mm-hmm. uh, in, in, a, in a very traumatic way. But still, it doesn't affect the grand story so much as it affects the character. Yeah. It is the character's yeah. ascension. And this is this is another one that I just I, I absolutely love that it's even on this list because Sometimes, yeah, you know, our our boss battles don't necessarily mean a big climactic point in the story for everyone, Mm-mm. but they can be they can be very targeted. We've we've spent um a couple of our previous episodes very recently talking mm-hmm. about character plots. Uh, episode two hundred, and then mm-hmm. we revisited it with a workshop a few mm-hmm. episodes later, um, talking about how to tailor a plot to a character. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a great way of doing it. You yeah. know, give that one character a personal boss battle. Yeah. You know, so all of that being said, and, and th- that was all exceptionally well written up um, by a uh, uh, by Theodore. And I, I'm trying I'm going to butcher this name. Uh, Aragoni or Ar- Argonaganus. Where is it? Uh, it's up in the research section. Uh, da, 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 at the top it, or at the bottom? Uh, it's uh, it's about mid. It's about mid. It's on. Uh, what is that? Page four. Bottom of uh, page Theodore four. Theodore Ara... Aragoganus. Aero... Aerogianus. Thank you. I was looking at that wrong. Agriogianus. Yes. Wow, that's a that's a mouthful. It is a name. mouthful. Theodore Agriogianus. It almost sounds like a character name. I'm just going to put that out there. It does sound, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a good character name. But in either case, uh, if you're interested in this thesis, uh, you know, ask in the Discord. I will kick it to you. I think it's a great, great thesis mm-hmm. right up. Um but what this leads to for both of us is that um, we naturally move toward this tiered boss battle for success. Yeah, sure. Because 
most of what we know through tabletop gaming is a vertical progression for our characters. Mm -hmm. So that when we then step that into something that doesn't have a true vertical progression, like Brindlewood Bay, it has some, but realistically the story has a progression that has escalation to it. Like we, we painted through, you know, through what the truth of, of what's going on in Brindlewood Bay, where it starts as just like simple little murders in a sleepy town Mm -hmm. to Cthulian witches. Yeah. Raising the, you know, the shug off of the deep, Mm -hmm. you know, at the end, that's a, that's a steep curve right there. That's a power escalation for the bad guy. And that's, that leads to some kind of a boss battle, but there's still little old ladies doing this at the end. Right. Exactly. Um, so sitting within that boss battles kind of equal this idea of power escalation and showing progression or change or learning. Right. If if not if not for the players themselves, for the story itself, you know, you want right. you want to build to that epic climax at the end and what is more climactic than bottling the entire in, in, encapsulating the entire conflict into a single being and being like, "Okay, fight them now." Yes, and this this creates the climactic mm-hmm. success. The hype train comes to Station, Yeah, absolutely. You know, but it begs to put the question into perspective. And I think you said it best. Right. Uh, the, the, the big question is, you know, that, that really should be considering when no matter what game we're playing. Mm-hmm. OK, because this, this goes for D&D. This goes for Brindlewood Bay. This goes for just about anything. Mm-hmm. The question you really want to be asking is not what is your boss battle going to be? Mm-hmm. But why is your boss battle going to be? And it sounds cliche. Mm-hmm. It kind of is. But but, it, but it's a very important question. You mm-hmm. know, what narrative beat are you trying to hit with your boss battle? Yeah. I mean, are, is it about your players who are playing D&D and they're grinding and they're like, you know, I want this next level. I want to get subclassed. I want to be able to drop freaking meteors from from the space, you know, kind of shit. I want this other thing. So it's a very vertical tactical progression, mm-hmm. right? Maybe that's what you need to show them is give them something to challenge them at those. Do the pagoda of tears, you know? Yeah, sure. You sure. know, give them it all the way to the You're end. You're fifth level now. Here's a this monster. You're tenth level now. Here's a this monster. And then you've got these these mile markers mm-hmm. that they can fight to be like, okay, I'm I'm good enough to beat one of these things now. You yeah. know, this other thing is still scary, but I'll get there. And then when you when you do get up to that level, now you're tenth level, you've got these cool spells or cool abilities or whatever, mm-hmm. you fight that thing and now suddenly you've defeated it, it's not scary anymore, and the next thing higher is the next scary thing, you know? Right. And that there's always something that's more scary so long as everybody still wants it. Sure. You, you know, know, you and, and, and it's good to have those mile markers because then you can look back on the experiences you and your character have had at the table where, like, you know, so many game sessions ago we were fighting goblins mm-hmm. and now we just fought a mind flayer, you know. And then, you know, a handful of game sessions forward are going to be fighting a dragon. Right. And then a number of game sessions after that, maybe we're going to be fighting like a demigod or something, you know. Right. I mean, and to say that you don't necessarily have to scale things, and, and like, D&D has the CR rating, which is very hard mm-hmm. to get right, that uh, to, to, to balance and uh, understand, but every game has that, and I, it made me think about, like, Battletech and Mech Warrior. Sure. The idea that, like, when you're at the beginning, you're pretty much fighting, 
sometimes something a little less than you mm-hmm. to get used to it. And then as you progress up, you're get, you're you're getting to heavier battles till eventually you're starting to deal with complications within your own unit. Maybe you're 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 salvaging things and you're light on gear, but you're still having to do the same job all the way out to the point where you've got waves coming at you mm-hmm. and you're having diminished resources trying to hold out the last things that you can. Yep. You know, and it's that idea of 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 it doesn't have to be that you are accelerating through skills and progression um but more so along the lines that tactically you've learned yeah it's it's a little bit more like that dark souls sort of progression exactly it's it's you that's gotten good not your character right and looking at that within the table within a group setting Mm -hmm. can be very rewarding sure absolutely and so sometimes you have to you have to step away from the mechanics that are set before you and look at your group's mechanics and say okay what is it that they're really looking to show within this progression yeah yeah absolutely um, I think the next piece, which is, you know, are you looking to develop the character? Mm-hmm. You know, do these people have deep characters? And it's not so much about what's on the paper for their stats, or the game may not even have those types of things. Yeah. You know, yeah. but are they growing within themselves? What are they looking to grow as? I think uh, a good example of this is a lot like Mouse Guard, mm-hmm. where your drive and your goals sit right there on the sheet every single time you're playing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and th- this, I think, is kind of, you know, where, like, our, you know, personal, you know, personal character plots kind of come in, too, mm-hmm. you know. Um, oh, we were talking a little bit earlier about the climax of uh, the vampire plot in my game, mm-hmm. where your character was given, like, Dawnbreaker, the undead-slaying sword, yep. and put in a room with two vampires. And that was the big climactic battle of of the, 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 of the, of the arc. Mm-hmm. But really, the, the, the boss fight was not there are two vampires and you've got an undead slaying sword. The boss fight was what are you going to do with it? Yeah. You know, the real battlefield going on was in your heart, not mm-hmm. not in that room. Yep. And who are you going to show mercy to? Who are you going to give violence to? Yeah. Likewise, um within that same framework as you move to uh, through character development, it's oftentimes that that exposes a truth of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, you do this and the world either exposes itself or changes because of it. Yeah, the world and, reacts in some and way. And now your character has caused a reaction. Yeah. You know, um, we completed, you know, Maze Runner. We completed and found a way out of the maze. And in finding the way out of the maze, we discovered that the maze was created. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. Like, this is our people doing this to us. Why? Yeah. We yeah. don't know. Now we got to go find out why. Mm-hmm. So each stage of that uncovers another piece of truth and changes who you are because the drive reason for why you were getting there now is altered. You know, now instead of, you know, what we're trying to do is survive, we're trying to s- decide who we are mm-hmm. in this setting. Um, the other thing that you can do with boss battles is change up the feel. Of what's going on. Yeah, this is kind of your Portal or Celeste move where, mm-hmm. you know, you, you take you take your boss battle, uh, you put it in a place to kind of shift the the mood, to break up the action, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, one good example I thought of this uh, that, you can, that you can do with these is like uh, 7C. You know, mm-hmm. you, you run that as a very political game for us. Very much so. Um, very social game. And uh, so, like, if all of a sudden somebody throws down a gauntlet and wants to duel... Mm-hmm. You know, now all of a sudden it's violent. Yeah. 
what do we like we were talking a minute ago we've talked we've done nothing but talk for the last seven game sessions right and now we're in a fight yeah. you know with someone important who can kick our ass yeah you know yeah so what what do you do with that well okay now this is an epic boss battle for us and it's just a duel yeah with some noble with a sword and a chip on his shoulder but it's a it becomes a boss battle because it's a it shocks us out of the rhythm that we've fallen into mm-hmm and in shocking us out of that rhythm, it also shows that the stakes are possibly different than we have conceived. Mm-hmm. And it also throws us off onto our back foot because we have been solving things by talking the entire time. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, violence is the key to this, you know, uh, to, 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 this, to this question of a right. boss battle. And what do we do with that? Right. You know? and, and does it mean death or does it just mean humiliation? Sure. You know? Pain and humiliation. Which, which yeah. one of those is worse? Sometimes that is a, a, a very good question, and 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 just in that you it changes the character, it changes yeah. the tone, it changes the feel. Like, is this where things are going to continue to go? Mm-hmm. Right. And it's 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 good. And honestly, like from a political standpoint too, if you are playing for a social political game, doing something like that, forcing the players to suddenly play by the rules of your villain. Mm-hmm. And engage with that "quote unquote" boss battle on their terms mm-hmm. is, in and of itself, a power move. Yeah, I and it, and rightly so. Both directions of that, mm-hmm. you know, um, we talk about using violence in the right place. If violence is what is predominantly being used in your game as a as a method of communication between the antagonist and the protagonist, there's nothing to say that you can't turn those tables and put everything in a courtroom mm-hmm. where. Clearly, they have the upper hand, and they're just like, prove that we're doing anything worse than you are. Switch to peace and civility and le- and levy the law against them. And it yeah. is. It's just as much of a change of pace. Yeah. But it can yeah. be just as much of a power move, yeah. Yeah. You, you've been taken to jail. Why? Someone said that you assaulted them. Yeah, we were defending ourselves. That's... The... That will be decided in court. I don't know. You know, Count uh, Count Hasseldor of, you know, of Skingrad says differently, and it's your word against his. Right. So you'll be, this will be a court case. Yeah, exactly. In the Imperium. And you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I can kick his ass in the woods, but I can't kill him in court. This, yeah, exactly. It's a problem. And and that's the thing is, is that it can really change the pace of things. Uh, one of the uh, one of the things that I was recalled of this when we were talking about dueling particularly was um, – Someone had had a very Imperium, very regal uh, uh, setting that was going on okay. in, uh, in space. Mm-hmm. So you had a group of spacefarers who who kept that Imperialism and 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 knightlyhood and things like that sure, sure. Uh, against these pirates, right? That were you know, and space is dangerous, you know. Things you, you things you don't want to do inside of a spaceship, you know, because the vacuum of space sucks. And literally, they get to a point where, like, yes, yes the, it does. The guy, one of the Imperiums, realizes that like he's on the Imperi- on the pirate's freighter, and he just takes off his glove and slaps him, and it says, "Then I challenge you to a duel, and you must follow my rules." That pirate captain has to duel pistols with him inside of his ship. Oof. He better not. One of them misses, and bad things happen. Well, I guess the the question here is which one of them watched the watched the expanse. Exactly. Are they are they first putting on spacesuits and depressurizing the room? <laughs> it all depends on the challenge. Or is someone getting a nasty surprise in approximately ten paces? Yep. Exactly. <laughs> and the thing is, like, you may shoot me, but it's also going to breach your ship. Yep. 
because I'll probably miss then and bad things will happen when I miss. Yep. And yep. and all of that adds into the framing and changes the feel of everything at that moment. And I quote Tom Servo when I say, oh, look at that. Breach hole, I'll die. Even had it underlined. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that was Chrome. Sorry. Yes. I love that. I love that. <laughs> so the next is is something that I think I, I tend to do. Um I like doing the fan service. I yeah. like it's fun when you bring back an NPC or you bring something that's not notable into the game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it doesn't feel like a boss fight to the players, but what it is is another way of escalation mm-hmm. and showing that. I mean, um, I was thinking about your Tron game idea that you wanted to run, and just the idea of having an omnipresent AI that's talking to the avatar and the player at the same time yeah because it's very aware of what's going on it's like you know it's 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 strange to see programs with such agency it's almost as if you're a complex ai being you know with little difference between you and an actual user who may be sitting at their desk eight hours a day doing nothing but sql queries right (laughs) it's quite intriguing yes you're like Oh, that hurts. Please mm-hmm. stop that, you know. But at the same, but you can't always do something like that. But there's nothing to say that you can't throw fan service in your game. If you're running D&D and, and Volo shows up, you know, you end up getting the, that's the guy's name in my book, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, worse yet is if he wants to throw down with you, now you're in trouble. But like, yeah. but the whole idea is, is that you can do things like that that are, that are escalation points. I mean, Count Strahd is a character, right? That is a thing, but when you get to that point, the players are excited. Like, his name's on the book, you know? Mm-hmm. It's that thing! It's the name of the thing! And and people get excited about that. And that's okay to do those, like, reality checks or fan services within a boss fight. Mm-hmm. It feels good. It feels good to the players. They can recognize the moment. Um, I did this specifically with my players in 7th C, seeing a previous game moment play out in another part of the city, just, you know, a few miles from them. Yep. You know, you're like, hey, that's the thing we did. (laughs) (laughs) Because I like running concurrent timelines, and there's nothing to say that, like, those events didn't occur. So, and then you've got like your recurring characters like Madre yeah. and Guise yep. and and uh, uh, Louis Vampa. Who yeah. actually you you lifted Louis Vampa from one of our favorite movies, yep. the uh, the Count of Monte Cristo. Yeah. So, I mean, that goes back to like using the things that your players know yeah. to be able to allow them to visualize very strongly. That fan service plays out very well. <laughs> he was fan service that became even more fan service once he came came into your game. You yes, know? yes, great. Um. But yeah, that that kind of feeling kind of then leads to the the whole idea of the, you know, epic player service, which is kind of the the whole idea. Like Rigar is going to fight a dragon. That fight has to be with a dragon. It has to be epic. You can't hand wave that at the end of it. As a character and as a player, he wants that. And that's the story that he wants to have. Mm-hmm. So that hype train better get to the station. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when it gets to the station, there better be fireworks and a Jubilee band playing kind of a thing at some level. Whether that's, you know, discussion and it's it's deep and they circle each other. And the I mean, what happens if the fight goes three rounds? No big deal, right? Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that it's got to feel it all the way. 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's the Ganon fight. You knew this was coming. You've been waiting for this. Let's make it worthwhile. We've got one of these brewing up in my game. Yeah. With uh, Rigar. That's what it's just saying, Rigar. Yeah. I don't know if you heard me at the beginning. Of it, oh, so, no, yeah, I'm, yeah. So, I'm sorry. I was, I was yeah. responding to something in the, in the live chat. Uh, That's okay. Knox in the box got me going on Tron, so I was just oh, okay. uh, I was fangirling with him. Um, yeah, he's he's got he's got that thing brewing. They're like his epic destiny is mm-hmm. he will kill the dragon. Yeah. In fact, he's taken the delusional hindrance to believe that his destiny is so intertwined with that dragon, he literally can't be killed by anything but the dragon. Right. Um. And like, what am I gonna do as a storyteller? Of course, I'm gonna give him that fight. You know. Like imagine how colossally disappointed mm-hmm. he would get he would be if he did not get to fight that dragon. But like I told you, I've already been coming up with one liners. And that's you know? <laughs> that's the thing is is that you and and I'll say this out loud so mm-hmm. that uh so that all storytellers can hear this. Monologue. Yeah. Set a scene. Don't just step them into the fight. Mm-hmm. Make sure that they're aware that you're going to do a pause, that they're not allowed to just immediately like you know, enough talk, let's fight, you know? Yeah. No, no, have the time to have the narration to make it feel like it needs to set, where the weight sets on it. There, There is a, a famous scene at the beginning of Castlevania Symphony of the Night mm-hmm. where Richter Belmont is smack-talking with Dracula, you yeah. know? And, like, I'm, like... He goes in there and he starts, you know, he's like, you know, mankind ill needs a savior such as you, you know, and Dracula's pontificating. Oh, what is a man? A miserable little pile of secrets. And there's banter back and forth. And you know what? That fight would not be half as cool, half as interesting if there weren't that corny B-movie banter at mm-hmm. the beginning of that. If you just walked in and, like, Dracula was like, girl, I'm going to kill you, you would, like, what... You know, it'd be like, okay, I guess we're having a boss battle now. But, like, man, I can't stress the importance of a monologue yeah. nearly enough. Yeah. And, and like, players, let your let your storytellers monologue. Storytellers, if they try to interrupt your monologue, just tell them it's a hard move and make them listen to you. So there was there was a movie um, that was about, like, it, it's a comedy action um, about two replacement cops who follow after like the two primaries basically end up getting themselves killed and i can't remember i'm trying to remember the name of it right now off the top of my head but effectively like the 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 super good guy cops who are like the aforementioned like hero cops literally jump off a building and to to catch up with the bad guy and that's what kills them because they they think they're basically unstoppable okay and so then the follow up guys are uh, I think which I think is Mark Wahlberg and uh, like somebody else. Uh but anyways, someone had created had opened up their game of adventurers with a, with their adventurers being basically adjuncts to another adventuring group who was very powerful. Okay. From their lens, that's how they were going to open it. Was they had a couple of adventures where basically these first level, you know, people who were part of like this adventuring group, they all joined it. And you had these two powerful, you had a powerful wizard, a powerful fighter. And they were like, you know, you're going to come with us and do these things. And they do a couple adventures, but the whole time they're talking them down. Mm-hmm. They're just like, don't worry, you guys will, you know, you guys will eventually get your spells and figure out how to use that sword properly. But until then, we've got this. And so, like, every fight that got escalated, they would basically just push them off to the side and do the epic fight. And the player's like, this is getting really annoying. 
Like, mm-hmm. I hate these guys. We need to go figure out. And so they try. They start doing their own side stuff. Well, it finally comes to a fight that happens at their place. Mm-hmm. And, like, the bad guy is, like, opens a portal and he's just like, ha-ha. Like, now you'll see what, you know, now, now you have to, you know, follow me into the darkness. And they're just like, that's never been a problem for us. You all stay here. And they're like, screw that. We're going with them. And they jump through the portal. The two heroes, aforementioned heroes, jump through the portal, and when the players follow up, they realize that jumping through the portal was the bad idea, because it's off of a cliff face, and they can literally see their dead bodies at the bottom of the cliff, like, 400 feet down, and they're like, and they just step right back through the portal, and they're like, can we break this? Can we we just shatter this and deal with this later? And they're like, yeah, you, you saw how he created it, and that was the beginning of the game. Oh, that's funny. Was there what's left? That's funny. And it was like, okay, that is an epic fight that shows the strength of the enemy and what you have to become. And it's it was just a great way to frame zeros to heroes. You know what that reminds me of a lot? Have you ever seen the movie Mystery Men? It does feel a lot like Mystery Men. Yeah, yeah where you got Captain Amazing, and mm-hmm. he's he's like an actual, real, honest to goodness superhero. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, he gets you know, yeah, he gets incapacitated by the uh, by the major villain, and all these like lesser superheroes need to like fill in for him, exactly. and figure out what's going on. Yeah, I love I love those kinds of things. But the but the point of that is is that it sets the ball in motion. Yeah, yeah. For those things, so remember that epic fights like that you can frame. Mm-hmm. You can set those in motion and communicate to your players that they're being set in motion sure. so that they know where the story, that they're part of the opening of the story versus you just explaining that this has happened. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, and so within that, you you have those answers to the why. Mm-hmm. You know, when we talk, when you we look down at your, your sheet and... We've talked about this a few times, and I'm gonna I'm gonna try and readdress this again. And that is the fact that designing your plot before your players start playing is okay, but designing the story points that you want is not, because you don't know if your characters and players are gonna want vertical vertical progression, whether they're gonna want to do character development, mm-hmm. whether or not you're gonna need to switch up the themes because of who they are. Whether you're going to have to do fan service on occasion to keep things light and fun. Sure. Or whether or not you're going to want that epic end. Mm-hmm. You know, that strong finish at the end. Most of us think about that because we want the story to be there. But because you've got all these storytellers at the table, you have to be prepared to answer the why several in. Mm-hmm. So, especially for campaigns, some of the best things you can do is open light. Give them an adventure. Sprinkle some things in there. Do the Brindlewood. Throw some clues together that have no meaning. What do they figure it out? Like, what are they? What do they look for? What what draws their attention? Mm-hmm. How do they move along that path? Answers the why. Yeah. Then you can yeah. step in and say, "What does my boss battle look like? What does my first boss battle? What look does like? my story need? What sort of big conflict needs yeah. to get worked out here?" Does it just need to be a steady plot with a bunch of character development boss battles? Mm-hmm. Sure. Does it need to be a progressional one where we have the pagoda of strength yeah. that goes up to a final point? Is it a, oh my god, this guy's really evil. Okay, well, it sounds like I need to hype this train and take it off with it. Yeah, exactly. You know, all of those come around as the players play. Mm-hmm. And if you listen, the story will unfold. Yep. Yep. Don't write a novel. 
start a game. <laughs> we have some good questions. We have some excellent questions. And I, 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 I will say dig in where you want. All right. So Nevim in his typical shotgun of questions here. Does Thank you, having uh, one big bad evil enemy lead to having boss battles? Not necessarily. No. I think you can actually have an enemy and and basically effectively have the boss battles be all personal conflicts. Yeah, I, I, I don't think having a one single big bad enemy certainly denotes that you have to necessarily come into direct conflict with it. Um, especially if your enemy, like one big bad enemy, is like Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. You're not going to fight Cthulhu. No. That's just not going to happen. You're going to need to maybe fight his cultists. You're mm-hmm. maybe going to need to stop him from getting directly summoned or something like that. But, like, um, you know, it's very I, – I think this one's very personal to your to your campaign. But, no, it, just just because you've got a big bad doesn't mean you necessarily have to have yeah. one big epic throwdown with them at the end. And likely the throwdown is less important as what is revealed throughout it. Yeah. The Joker wasn't that big of a problem. When it was just the Batman and Joker. Yeah, you can just punch the Joker and he's pretty much done. Like... Yeah, yeah. Putting a bullet in him still would make him be like, oh, this is a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, I bleed. But the thing is, is that in that moment, you're learning a lot more. Yeah. Even putting him in jail doesn't stop it. Yeah. You know, you, you need him as much as he needs you. And that's when you can get to a point with that with some of the characters, it can mean a lot more to the story than a than a big boss battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you bring a boss battle with uh? How do you sorry? How do you bring a boss battle without being too stereotypical? Well, the stereotype is a vertical progression. So if you don't want that, don't do it. Yeah, I don't have a better answer for that. Uh, we've we've spent basically the entire episode detailing different ways to approach boss battles and mm-hmm. different ways boss battles can show up. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say you know choose a different way. Yeah, think, and think more about what why. your why your yeah why your boss battle is occurring and what your story needs, what it's serving narratively. Yep. Versus trying to make it unique. Yeah, and and like stereotypical, by the way, is not a bad word. No. Um, I, it's it's a it's an attribute certainly, but you know sometimes stereotypes are are fine in you know in the context of like. You know, are you doing the stereotypical thing? Are you like stereotype has the same connotation as like the word trope? Yeah. Oh, that that's a trope. Okay. Well, that helps that, people that, remember what's that, going on. That just means it fits a pattern. That doesn't mean it's a good thing or a bad thing. You know. Right. So if you're doing you know the stereotypical boss battle, well, if that's what your narrative needs, mm-hmm. then do it. Like, yep. there's no there's nothing bad about that. No. And and realistically, there's nothing wrong with tropes because again, it's what we're comfortable with. Yeah. Exactly. Lean into comfort. Just have an understanding of why. There's also something to be said about like the you know the, the, the beer and pretzels game. You yeah. know, don't don't challenge my brain. I just want to come show up, play D and D, and just fight monsters for three hours a week or something like that. You know, right? So your ter- your stereotypical boss battle is exactly what that type of game is looking for. Yeah. Put me in the room with a dragon. Let me hit it with a cone of cold. Yeah. And I'm gonna have a good time. Yeah. Exactly. Um, how to avoid setting up boss battles. Um, first off, if you're setting up a boss battle, it's because your players asked for it. Uh, I don't know that players always 
ask for boss battles. The ask isn't what you think it is. And I think that's my, my point to this is that when you look at your players, you will know whether or not they're leaning toward a boss battle or not based upon their actions. And sometimes that's hard to see, but that's the why. If you're setting up for one, they're the ones moving toward it. They're the ones cracking their knuckles and going, Correct. oh, we're going to get this guy. Or this is going to happen. We need to be ready for it. Okay, okay, they've set the stage. Right. No different than the clues lead to that. Mm-hmm. The the mysterious things that I've dropped out. There's a pencil, there's a bloody spot on the floor, and a ticket to Maui. Mm-hmm. And they go, oh, the husband, he, he killed her and, uh, and, and took the insurance money to go to Maui. And you're like, yes, that's what happened. I absolutely had that planned and written down well ahead of time. So when the players, you know, come in and see a beholder in a chamber and there's a, you know, a, a, a golden hand sticking up out of the floor mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, that's from so-and-so. We're going to have to be careful because whatever is going to be in there can turn us to gold. Write down, write down, write. That's what they're expecting. Why yeah, not? Sure. Right? Okay. Le- okay. Lean into expectations, whatever they may be. You, By listening to your characters, you will know if they are setting up the boss battle. Okay. Avoid it by telegraphing it for them. Mm-hmm. You know, unless it's meant to be tropey as heck. Like, oh, look, it's a giant lair in a volcano with a huge steel door. I bet the villain is here. Why? Well, let's see. That layer building that is glass looks like a skull. I bet he's in there. <laughs> well, like, I mean, but that's tropey. That's meant to be that way. Yeah, but like, how do you avoid setting up the boss battle then? Like, how do you how do you get around the trope of we're going to come to one big epic conflict with the big bad evil guy? You know, you change up the you change up the feeling based upon what the players need. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when the boss comes running out of the room that he's in going, oh, please, God, stop him, stop him. And you're like, excuse me? And he's clutching you, the hero, right. who's come to kick his butt. And you realize something worse is in that room mm-hmm. trying to kill him. That's now you've changed up the theme. Now, that's the whole theme of the story is now changed. Mm-hmm. And you walk in the door, and there's some hero in there literally lighting the place on fire. Well, but that's still a boss battle. It's just a subversion of expectations. Maybe it is. Maybe it's an escape now. Okay. Because now you have to decide. Are you going to kick that guy's butt, or are you going to leave? Who are you protecting? It's no longer about the fight. It's about the situation. Yeah, okay. Okay. I mean, I'm thinking I'm thinking more, you know, strategic anticlimax. Okay. Um, you know, some sometimes the the more shocking move is to not do the big epic thing. Right. You know, the, everybody's geared up for it, and like they're gonna walk in there, and you open the door, and it's a kid. Yeah. Sitting at a computer. He's like twelve. We can't fight him. Right. You know, like you are. are we're we're here to stop the epic hacker man. Like, it's the, the, the. Oh, that's me. I'm hacker man. I'm totally elite. Oh God! Okay, kid, why aren't you in school? You know, like that's <laughs> that's that's to me like how you how you avoid a boss battle. Is Jay just... and Silent Bob going door to door to the people who said terrible comments to them online. Yeah. Yes, yeah, that. <laughs> um, are boss battles only physical battles or combat? Heck no! Oh Heck my no. God, no, definitely not. No. Um, I know that's a tongue in cheek question, Nevim. I know you too well, but 
No, it is not. To answer the question, it is not. We've kind of outlined that it's not. Yeah, sure. A lot of it sure. can be very psychological. Yeah, we, we talked about um, uh, specifically, you know, using uh, uh, changes to the pace mm-hmm. as as big boss battles to kind of jar your, uh, your, your players out of their rhythm and stuff like that. And sometimes not having a physical conflict is what jars them out if they've been very physical up to that point. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we also talked a little bit about, you know, having a personal a personal stake in the conflict where, you know, like, like with your, with the vampires example, you know, that battle, yes, it was physical from the standpoint of you had a undead slaying sword and there were two vampires in the room with you, but the conflict wasn't the vampires, right? You know, the vamp, the the conflict was your choice and that, and that was a nonviolent thing. That wasn't a physical boss battle. That was a psychological boss battle. That was an emotional boss battle for you. Yeah, exactly. So Violent Menace asks, does having a villain being a boss-like detract from their dimensionality as a character? For context, I am trying to decide for my Cartex Prime pirate game whether I want a major GMC to be the uh, to be a boss treated like mobs in the system or if I want to design them in the same way as the player characters, which is longer. Um, have to choose distinctions for them, etc., uh, but also fleshes out more and more. So the question is, is do you just have him as a traditional monster boss or as a fully developed character? Uh, I, I, I think... <sighs> I think this sits somewhere between mechanics and story. But... Yeah, that's that's that was kind of... I'm, I'm trying to formulate how I want to say this, um, but I don't think the distinction between GMC and like full-fledged character matters as much as what you do with them narratively. Okay, I okay. agree. I would agree with that. Um, you can do. Uh, this is this is a, a something I I learned when switch switching over to Savage Worlds. Mm-hmm. Okay, in in D and D, there's a very big push to like, oh, what's what's the stat block? What do you have your villains statted out to do? What are right. his abilities? What are his things? You know. Mm-hmm. And I started doing that when I went over to Savage Worlds because it was old habit. Sure. And I very quickly realized, like, I don't ever write stat blocks for any of my characters Mm -mm. ever in anything. Because, first off, characters in Savage Worlds are simple enough that I don't have to. But, like, Mm -hmm. I know just narratively what that character is good at and what they're not good at. Mm -hmm. So if they need to do something in a capacity that they need to roll dice to see what the outcome is... I kind of know if I just I can just grab like okay well they're this is literally the thing they do I'm gonna grab a d10 for them mm-hmm. or this is something that is very out of their wheelhouse I'm gonna grab the d4 mm-hmm. you know um, in cortex <laughs> uh, if I'm remembering the system correctly the storyteller doesn't even roll dice correct there's just essentially challenges that the players have to then roll against mm-hmm. so. I think that's what their question is, is that do you develop a character for them? And I would say in Cortex, don't. I think it's I think it's very up to you, like, in, in the moment. Like, I, again, I don't think you need to codify it nearly as much. Uh, for me, I will say this. If you're running a Cortex Prime game, and for those of you who haven't listened to the Cortex Prime show or know anything about it, um, it's, it's effectively a game engine creator um, and leans heavy toward Powered by the Apocalypse design of... N- non uh it's not osr 
Mm-hmm. You know, it is it is narrative heavy, but there are there are still crunchy bits to it. Yeah, it's, it shares a lot with fate. Yeah, it can it does, get yeah. very crunchy if you want it to be, but that's that's totally up to you. Mm-hmm. And because you're making a uh, you're you're making a game that is going to have uh, specifically to speaking to your pirate game. A pirate game has a series of challenged individuals mm-hmm. that are going to be kind of recognized or thrown away by the characters. Mm-hmm. They're, the way you play them, the way you, you motivate the players through uh, the actions of the NPCs, and I'm not talking about their stats, I'm talking about their activities that they're doing within the gameplay, um, almost like factions within uh, Blades in the Dark, you are helping the players determine their classification and where they sit in a risk level. Mm-hmm. And I think by creating a character that is a physical character that then becomes things, I think by you are creating a level of dimensionality that creates an epic fight that is going to happen when they know that it is not just a, uh, a series of, of ad, um, advantage, disadvantage, bonuses, detractions that sit across the board when dealing with this indi- with a, one of the individuals mm-hmm. or one of the ships or one of the crews, you know, however that may be, you know, uh, they'll realize that there is something more epic about it. So for me, I would wait on the dimensionality of creating any physical characters that are in direct conflict. And stick with the with the rule set of letting the players play against the game until such time that they see the dimensionality of fighting something that has escalated. When the escalation points hit, you'll know what you need to develop. And that's the kind of thing that I would look at from that. Again, don't overdo your workload as a storyteller. You're already going to have your hands full. By creating a character and then trying to figure out how you're going to match stats with their advancement... I think you are running the risk of of developing something that now you're playing against them, and that creates that dimensionality that you don't want as a storyteller either. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, I I agree with all that. Um, I also just think that too that like um, the things that are going to add dimensionality to the to the this this pirate villain is going to be things that happen narratively, not things that happen mechanically. Yes, um, 100%. So, you know, first off, uh, you're probably dealing with the pirate's reputation and his crew long before you're ever dealing with the pirate captain himself. Exactly. Um, and so, uh, you know, working through cat's paws is a very typical mm-hmm. uh, uh, villain thing. Um, and then, you know, by by the time they do come into direct conflict with them, mm-hmm. this character is important enough that it doesn't matter what his stat block is. Yep. He's already got a reputation that precedes him, and it's this is oh my god, this is Blackbeard the pirate. You know exactly. We can't just go in there. Like we don't right. know what his stats are. Doesn't matter. But he's he, he's re- reputed to be very fearsome and take no prisoners. We can't just walk in there. We already know. Like right. Your your players will tell you how afraid they are if you make him scary without ever seeing his stat block. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's creating the untouchable, unseen villain who who is is fearful. Figure out what that is and move through it. And like, like we said earlier, you know, the Joker dies if you shoot him. Yep. 
But how he is many, he is terrifying. But how many times does Batman get to physically be in the space with the Joker where the Joker doesn't have control of the situation? Yeah, where he doesn't have the upper hand. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. So then that follow-up question is, any ideas for interesting bosses in a reasonably realistic historical pirate setting where PCs are pirates? I guess I could just rip off Assassin's Creed for ideas. Well, first off, yes, you can 100% rip off Assassin's Creed for ideas. Well, uh, you said reasonably realistic historical pirate setting. Why don't you rip off history? There's a lot of pirates in history. One of my favorite things that I've ever learned Mm -hmm. is that the show Leverage (laughs) went for several seasons, and some of the plots were really ridiculous of just absolutely evil corporate people bullying little little guys with just maniacal just diabolical schemes and they were all true mm-hmm. in fact a lot of them had to be wheeled back mm-hmm. to to like strip out some of the cartoonishly evil stuff that real people have done mm-hmm. to make it believable for tv yeah and knowing that uh Trust me, you can go right into history, and history is so weird sometimes. And yeah. there are some really dynamic characters who actually existed. If you are running a historical pirate game that you want mm-hmm. some really good verisimilitude in there, look at history. Yeah, pull, Wikipedia. Pull up Wikipedia. Pull, there's yep. probably some great, uh, great channels on YouTube you can learn about. Yeah, and what I would do with those is... Change the names to protect the innocent. Mm-hmm. Also, it stops your players from immediately saying, oh, this is just bloody Bonnie McGee, mm-hmm. right? I know what her story is. Mm-hmm. Look at what their drive is, okay? And then make that adapt to your story. Don't You don't have to go far, but as long as their drive remains the same. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it be this female pirate decided to, was originally a, uh, a, 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 uh, uh, a court uh, madam whose husband was uh, killed uh, because he was sent out as a general since he was a gentleman mm-hmm. uh, and, and basically had his life thrown away. So in anger, not at the enemy who ended up killing him, but at the people who sent him, she sells all of their good, all of their worldly goods, their home, everything raises a fleet and does nothing but pirate against her own country specifically those who those ships that are owned by those lords who wronged her absolute girl boss and that's that's her motivation Mm -hmm. you don't need to know more than that so to be honest and historical the best thing you can do is look at what quote-unquote history has generated Uh, and wikipedia does a good job of painting who those people were and what their motivations were. Mm-hmm. Um, if you need additional help, just message me. I love talking about pirates. Um, it's the three Gs. That's right. Girl boss. Yep. Gangplank. Yep. Galleon. <laughs> there you go. All of it. <laughs> um, but but the one thing I will say to you, uh, in specifically in regards to this, when you're talking about interesting bosses, there are three things that I would focus on for any boss. One, drive. What is their motivation that makes them strong? Mm-hmm. Two, why do people follow them? Fear is not a reason that people follow you. Fear is the reason why they stick around is because you're stronger really than everyone else and your fearsomeness makes them want to attach to you. Yeah. But basically just having fear makes people want to move away from you. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to find a reason for loyalty. So drive, loyalty, and then the final thing is what haven't they found? 
what is the last piece to the puzzle. Yeah. Okay? Because if that gets solved, if that piece is the solution, and usually it's very simple, right? It may be grand, but it's mm-hmm. simple nonetheless. That's their undoing. Right, but it's their only undoing. Well, it's also it's also greatly ties into like their motivation for being who they are and doing what they're doing. You know, a powerful, fearsome person who commands respect is not out there being a pirate because they're bored. No, it's because they've got something to prove, or right. they're looking for something, or they've got a score to settle, or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. They they have a goal. Right, and the first the the first position the, the their drive what their mm-hmm. drive to their goal does not always have to be their undoing. Yeah, a lot of times their drive for the goal, much like the aforementioned uh, French woman who I just spoke about, her undoing was the fact that she found someone who reminded her of her husband, mm-hmm. and she realized she could stop this and just have a life. Mm-hmm. And whether or not that happened from that remains to be seen. Yep. But the yep. point is is that that was her undoing was that the, her whole point for doing it was because of that drive mm-hmm. was because of her husband, but it drove her almost into madness for what she was doing. And people followed her because it was just in their mind. She could sell it to them that others had died for no good reason, come join me mm-hmm. and I will take you without question. You know. Mm-hmm. And it worked. And if you can do those three things, you can make any pirate boss. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't matter. And it's it works amazingly well no matter who you're looking at. A lot of times the loyalty comes from the share, comes from the change, comes from them uh, finding people who are broken, things like that. And you'll find that, that that common thread ties through most of the pirates. Yeah. So. You want to grab Technolich? Uh, yeah, Lessing. Uh, Technolich actually says uh, more more of a thought than a question. Sure. Um, but I definitely definitely got some some opinions on it. Uh, BBEG, Big Bad Evil Guy, is a is not a person, but a concept. Okay. Like uh, heroes are fighting evil itself, not an allegorical representation of evil, like in Time Bandits. Interesting. So. My thoughts on this initially, sure, are that one of two things needs to happen. Well, maybe not two things. Hold on, let me let me reorganize my thoughts here. Sure. All right. So, initially, where I'm going with this is that, um, I'm actually thinking back to Star Trek First Contact. Okay. Uh, the Borg Queen. Sure. Okay. A lot of people at the time did not like the concept of a Borg Queen. Sure. Because the Borg are supposed to be a collective. They're all supposed to be essentially equal in the drone mm-hmm. cast. Like, there's not supposed to be hierarchy because that's not what a collective is. Yeah. You know. Um, but the reason they made the Borg Queen is because you can't have good narrative tension just fighting a swarm of drones. Mm-hmm. You know. It works in the short term, but when you're trying to make a big blockbuster movie that releases mm-hmm. in the middle of summer, you know, when you're trying to crack the charts for a big franchise like Star Trek, you can't just do that, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so the Borg Queen was essentially so that they could put a face, they could put a voice mm-hmm. to the entire concept of the Borg Collective mm-hmm. and personify it in one person, mm-hmm. Okay. This is the same advice we kind of give, like, when we talk about, you know, how do you create a faction in your tabletop game? Mm-hmm. Give the faction a face. Mm-hmm. You know, when dealing with a the faction, they're always dealing with, you know, Michael Smith. 
mm-hmm. is the maybe not, not even the leader, but he's at least the liaison of mm-hmm. that faction. Yep. So if we're talking to Michael, we know we're dealing with the Falconers or whatever. You know, who's the 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 guy in uh, Deep Space Nine who had like a hundred thousand clones of himself? Wayun, yeah, the Vorta. He was uh, with the Dominion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When you're dealing with 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 Wayun, you're talking to the Dominion, right? You know, and of course he always had his little contingent of Gem Hadar with him, and sure. sometimes he had Gold Ducat in tow. But yeah, right. you're right. He was the personification of the Dominion. Even when dead, would be right back. <laughs> right. So the when when you're dealing with a concept, like the concept of evil or something like that, it's difficult to pull off narratively because your players won't be able to con- conceive of themselves on the same playing field as the concept. Right? Mm-hmm. So you have to give it some sort of a personification. You have to give it some sort of a face some sort of a vector for them to direct their ire in the conflict towards, Mm -hmm. okay? You can't punch the Dominion. Right. But you can punch Wayun. Right. You You can't... You you can't defeat the Borg, all of them, but you can defeat the Borg Queen. Right. Right? So, um, that's my first thought on that, is that I, I would... I would shy away from the idea of fighting a concept because you can't really win against a concept. See above war on terror, war on drugs. Um, I've got some opinions there, but this is not a political podcast. No. Um, But you can fight a person that embodies those things. Right. Um, Second would be, what is your... What is your hopes for a win condition there? Because if you can't conceive of it, chances are your players can't either. And if you are positioning your players to be fighting something they literally cannot win against, I can tell you if if I was sitting at that table, I'd be demoralized and wouldn't want to play. Right. I'd be wondering what we were doing there. Right. You, uh, anytime that you're dealing with an amorphic... Um, situ- an amorphic uh, antagonist, mm-hmm. um, whether it be a force, whether it be uh, a, a brood, whether it just be something that is way larger than the players can can conceive, a horde of orcs. They're not going to slay every orc. That's not going to happen. Yeah, um, that that's ridiculous to tr- to try and con- to to conceive. So the question is: is are they trying to stop them from advancing? Is that all it is? They just need to stop it mm-hmm. for a period of time because they're they're helping something greater that's going on because obviously they're not yeah. the only ones. Boil it down to an achievable goal, basically. Yes, you know, and make we, that... we can't stop the war, but we can save this village. Right, you right. Know? You know, we we need to. You know, maybe today all we're doing is stopping this ritual, mm-hmm. but in the end, we have to stop all seven of them that are going on between these separate cults. O- okay. Sure. That makes sense. Sure. You know, um, in my game, I had the I, I had to give you guys a direction for fighting a god mm-hmm. that was unseen from yeah. from day one, and by doing so, I gave you little pieces that let that create a bigger image. Getting finding the orbs, destroying the orbs, discovering how all this had come to fruition, so that you could go through and not fight the god yourself but be able to put the god back in his place. Mm-hmm. And that's really the kind of thing that you want to see is you want to make sure that the end result, even if it is not within the player's control, 
was by the player's direction. Yeah, yeah. That the solution was there and that they don't feel exhausted and lost at the end. Yes, yes. That they are part of it, that not only are they part of it, but they receive the accolades internally from the story. Yes. Whether it's by, you know, parade and ticker tape or by them going, that was us. We did all of this, you know, kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. So anytime you have an amorphous evil, in quotes, it A, like you're saying, needs a face. Even if that face is represented multiple times yeah, by yeah. different by different things, it is still a unified voice that comes at them and, and mocks them and makes them feel like they're not really achieving anything. Yeah, God, the last season of Buffy was like that. That's mm-hmm. exactly what the last season of Buffy was, in fact. Yep. Yep. Very much so. First time I saw Nathan Fillion, too. Yeah. Uh, He'd been around the block a few times. The other, the other thing that I was thinking of, too, is... Um, Werewolf the Apocalypse, you know, okay. talk, talking about achievable goals in the face of an overwhelming conflict. Yeah. Um, the whole, the whole story, at least, at least in the, in the old world of darkness, when, yeah. way back when I, when I played World of Darkness. Way back when. Way back when. Um, was, the, the story was essentially that, uh, the werewolves had, had received a prophecy, yeah, and they, you know they were like guardians of nature. If you've never played the game before, they're like essentially guardians of the wild. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, they're the guardians of Gaia, um, and so very you know a lot of like Native American sort of heritage and stuff like that um, from all different cultures. Uh, and uh, they receive a prophecy that basically says there is going to be an epic battle in the end, and you're going to lose. Mm-hmm. Like. And once you receive that prophecy, what what do you do with that? Like, you, right. it, it essentially says that your entire fight against the worm, which is the the you know the quote unquote bad guy, mm-hmm. um, the opposite of the the wild, is futile. Mm-hmm. You already know you're going to lose. Like the the prophecy has been delivered, and we lose. Mm-hmm. So what are we fighting for? You know, right. um, and it it does narratively create that situation of like this is an overwhelming evil and we already know we can't beat it so what what do we do what is what's the whole point of the game and the concept then boils down to we're gonna we're gonna fight tooth and nail for the things that we can achieve mm-hmm. you know we might not be able to win the grand battle against it but those black spiral dancers over there have got to go right that thing that pentax is cooking up in that factory over there has got to stop right you know these vampires over here are gonna die. Yeah, Ag- I'm, again, <laughs> I'm, go- I'm gonna, I'm going to be standing on the front line with the rest of you when, when we that, lose, when that happens. Yes, exactly. I'm not gonna be cut down a century before it happens. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and I'm, I'm going to make, I'm going to make the worm bleed for that victory in the last battle. Yeah. 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 They're gonna know our names are carved in their hide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and that's that's the difference there. Yeah, and if you if you can create something, if you can frame your conflict as something like that, then then I think you can pull off the quote unquote concept of evil thing. But right, and um, and the whole idea that hope comes at every turn. Yeah, yeah. It you it know. takes it takes some nuance. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, definitely not a start your campaign with this idea. Yeah, this is not a this is not a one hundred and one. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely not a one. This is not a campaign one hundred and one. This is not even definitely not adventure at the one hundred and one level. So. Oh well. Well, I think we we murdered through this comp pretty pretty hard. I uh, I got to admit we were we were blasting through our show notes pretty quick, and I was like, we have gone 
through half of the show sheet in the first ten minutes. What are I we saw, gonna do? I saw those questions and I knew it was gonna it was gonna burn another forty minutes. Yeah, it's so. true. It's true. <laughs> All right. So next week's topic, we are talking about the importance of archetypes. This, um, this actually came from this came from Technolich. This came from Technolich. Um, yeah, there was some discussion on the uh, uh, on the Discord about whether archetypes and stories are a crutch or a hindrance for the storyteller or the players, or if they're necessary framework for helping us idealize who our character is supposed to be and guiding us in the kind of the correct direction when otherwise we might be spoiled for choice and you know have analysis paralysis on things. Yeah, I know that uh, when we first looked at this, the two of us went back and forth. A little bit until you were like, are we using the word archetypes right? And then we read it again and we're like, there's two questions in this question and we didn't even see that. Right. We've been talking about this for 20 minutes and we haven't decided on what the show topic should be yet. I think this is a show. Yeah. So, so. Uh, we, we hope you will join us in this journey and uh, the confusion of archetypes <laughs> and what it truly means within it. Uh, but I, I, I think it'll be I think it'll be a really good show. So. All right. You can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave, on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern time on MixLR.com slash Storyteller dash Conclave. And uh, join us on our Discord. We'd love to hear from you. Toss us some questions. We had some really great yeah. questions this week. We had a bunch of new people uh, join. We're very happy to have them. Absolutely love discussing these things and seeing new friendly faces on the Discord. Um, join us up there. You can find the link on our Twitter as well as our website, StorytellerConclave.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon members who help support us every single month, especially our name members. Knox in the Box, Subject, Sam, The Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, Veteran, Huluvu, and Sean. We truly appreciate all your support. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find them at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on Google Music. And our outro music is Only Our Footprints in Sand by Midair Machine. You can find them at freemusicarchive.org. And a big shout-out, as always, to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much Thank for you. loving and supporting us. All of our friends who sat beside our tables over these years to give these great stories to share with you. And you, every single one of our listeners, we love you guys so much. Love you guys. Good night. Good night. <laughs>